0: The way that I framed it for our young people, and it's it's the most direct application of this, is when I read Daniel chapter 1, the text that we read earlier, I don't see Daniel, I don't see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I see them. I see the young people of our church and of our school. And I talked a little bit about how society has kind of made us approach the way we practice our Christianity differently than we used to. Some of that is needed, and some of that is unfortunate. We live in a society now where uh, where those of us in ministry, and particularly men, have to be super careful about how we conduct ourselves because, you know, perception is as good as reality in, in, in our world. And so for that reason, we have to be very careful about how we conduct ourselves about young people. But what we've done is we've let that go too far. I'm not generally a huggy person in, by nature, but I'm, I'm very careful about hugging children because that's the society we live in. It isn't that unfortunate. Now, sometimes the kids don't give me a choice. Sometimes I walk through the lunchroom and there's, there's a handful of them that they're going to get a hug from me whether I want to give it or not. And they're, they're, they're helping me with that mindset. But even so, I try to be very careful about how I... How I uh, do that. We used to call it the Duggar hug. We dare not call it that anymore. The side hug, that kind of thing. Um, but one thing that, and there, there, there's some room for us to be careful and to be mindful of that, but one thing that it has robbed us of is speaking into these kids' lives in the way that we should. Because you just don't hear a grown man look at another man, let alone a teenager like, let's say, Isaac, and say what I'm about to say. But the reality of it is this. I love Isaac Branson. I love him. Now, there's different forms of love and different ways of expressing love and different ways of applying love. Certainly, I don't apply the love that I have for my children the same way that I do other people's children. But as the pastor of this church, as a teacher in that school, and just a Christian adult that cares, I love these kids. Now, let me be very quick to correct something I've heard a preacher say before. I don't love them more than you do. I can't. Now, there are occasions in life where we run into family situations in which the parents don't love their kids. And we can say, yeah, I do love them more than their parents do. I don't think that's true in here. I don't think that's true in here. So I'm not trying to take the place of any parent or any guardian in here, but I am saying this. We need to get back to the business of whether it makes them feel uncomfortable or not. We need to make sure these kids know that we do love them and that they do occupy our thinking. And they occupy our prayer life. See, I'm not just interested in our young people graduating and getting into the college of their choosing, if that's what God has for them, and getting into the career of their choosing and being financially successful and a pillar of the community. That's all great. But more than anything, I want to hear 10, 20, 30 years down the road that they're still walking with God and serving him and being used of him for his honor and glory and that God's touched their family in an unusual way. That's what we're after around here. And you cannot invest yourself in the lives of these young people without taking that kind of a mindset. You just can't. This isn't a job, it's a calling. And it's a calling that we're very thankful for. And I wanted them to see, and the thrust of this message on Thursday was that when I look at Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, I'll be honest with you, I can't identify with those guys. They lived thousands of years ago in a land I'm likely to never visit. But I can identify with the kids that sit before us on on class days and in Sunday school and in teen church and in this service. I can identify with them. and, And whether we want to realize it or not, friends, we're not home. We're in captivity too. We're not home yet. Home is up there. Where are we right now? We're in a foreign land. Just like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach. And, and so, this message does gear itself more towards our young people, but God made it clear to me that all of us need to hear it. All of us need to see the truths contained therein in this text. And so, from that perspective, I'm going to broaden it a little bit from what I did with the young people and just say, Who I see in Daniel 1. Who I see in Daniel 1. Father, would you help us this morning as we look to your word i desperately desperately need revival i look at this past week and i endeavored to pray and spend extra time in prayer i endeavored to meditate i endeavored to have a deeper communion with you and in some cases i did and in some cases i didn't life got busy and lord i'm sorry for all of that but lord please don't let me or anybody else that's struggling in this area hold back your hand of revival in this place Lord, do what you want to do. If not for us, do it in spite of us, Lord. And, and speak to us and do something unusual in this place this morning. Bless your word in the way that only you can. I believe that I've been obedient to you in what to preach this morning. Even now, if i have wrong, if I've misread that, I'll change it, God. But Lord, I pray that you'd use your word and speak to hearts and help us, Lord, to get an even sweeter, more pronounced taste of the revival we so desperately need. And Father, if there's somebody here that's lost, that's never trusted Christ as their Savior, I pray that they'd sense their need of him today, that they'd understand that to die without Christ is to spend an eternity in hell, and that they, their sins have already been paid for just as mine have, and that Jesus died, was buried, and on the third day rose again, and if we will put our faith and trust in him, not the Baptist church, not the waters of baptism, not good works, if we would put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we'll be saved. Oh, it'd be a wonderful thing to see somebody come to Christ today. It'd be a wonderful thing to see God's people renewed and revived today. And we'll give Jesus all the praise for it. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. I'm focusing on four Young men in particular, but don't, don't think that that excludes ladies. The principles apply all the way across the board. There's Daniel, Mishael, Azariah, and uh, well, I left out one. Hananiah and Azariah. And most often we refer to them as, it's interesting to me, we, Daniel gets to keep his Hebrew name, but we tend to use the Persian name for the other ones, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't know why that is, but it is. And, uh, of course, God does that in the later portions of Daniel. He, he uses the Persian names. But those are who my focus is on this morning. And I look at them as they, they approach this situation here in chapter 1. They've been taken captive by the forces of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, um, the northern kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, they're already in the wind. The Assyrians took care of that. Um, Nebuchadnezzar has now taken over the Assyrians and now moves on to Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, and takes takes the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. And now they've been marched back to Babylon. And here we find them, and, and they have been selected out of the group. They've been selected, and the king has a special plan for these four young men, among others. And we see that they come up to a situation over which they have no control, but they have to make a decision. So who do we see here? Number one, I see people who are royal, who are royal. Look at verse number three. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the prince's. Daniel, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah are of the king's seed. They are of the tribe of Judah, and most specifically, they are part of the royal family. The royal family. And I told the young people on Thursday, and I'm telling all of you today, that when I look at you, assuming you've trusted Christ as your Savior, whether you realize it or not, you are royal. Right. You're royal. Now, there's a lot of verses that would that would give us... An understanding of that, but hold your place here and look at first Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two, a rich passage of scripture in its own right. But first Peter chapter two and verse number nine. First Peter chapter two and verse number nine. Look what it says. But ye, talking to Christians, but ye are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. Yeah, Boy, there's a lot there. But a royal priesthood and holy nation of peculiar people. I always pause here. The word peculiar in good old King James English does not mean weird. It means precious and set apart. Christians, if we live according to the word of God, we'll be weird enough for this world. We don't need to go out of our way to be extra weird. I'm just going to be weird because I want, the Bible says I'm to be peculiar. Listen, some of us don't have to work at it very hard anyway, all right? But I've known Christians, they went out of their way to be weird because the Bible commands it. No, it's understanding that you're a precious people that's been set apart unto God. That's what peculiar there means. But let's talk about a royal priesthood. What must you be to be royal? You must be a descendant of the king. You must be related to royalty. Oh, wait a minute. By blood. To what royal figure am I related by blood? I am a joint heir, a brother, if you will, of the king of kings and the lord of lords. I'm royalty. (laughs) Now, Here's the rub for that. Royal people ought to act like it. Royal people ought to understand that our testimony is in view no matter where we go, no matter what we do, and we need to live up to a certain standard in life. Y'all, if you're part of the family of God, please don't find yourself on one of these Gotcha social media sites fighting in Walmart, knocking stuff over. Hmm? Well, live like we're royal. I told your young people on Thursday, you're royal. Not for nothing, but royalty means I'm not descended from an animal. Oh, are you one of those anti-science rubes? It's a whole lot easier for me to believe that an intelligent designer, a creator of the universe, made us for a purpose than it is for me to believe that the mathematical impossibility of evolution happened and produced what we have today. If we teach our kids that they're animals, that they don't have a purpose, and that everything is just a random cosmic accident, then don't be surprised when they start acting like accidental animals. Oh, preacher, is that really a big issue? Don't you want to get people? Listen, if we don't believe how the Bible begins, we don't have any right to believe how it ends either. I, I can't speak for you, but my kids, they're not monkeys. My kids, as long as they're saved, Claire is and Asher's, I'm trusting God to get there. They're royal. And your kids are royal. And if you've been saved, you're royal. So we've got a a responsibility to act like it, don't we? Mm. You can imagine how much fun the kids had on Thursday. Gets a little better for them, though. I look in this passage, I don't just see people that are royal. I see people that are remarkable. Look at verse 4. He wants children of the king's seed, and then children in whom was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science. These kids were the best of the best. They were good looking, they were smart, they were wise, they were clever, they were well thought of, they presented themselves well. These were exceptional young people. Hey, can I just tell you something? And I believe this with all of my heart. I feel this. If I didn't, I wouldn't have said it. The young people that we have in this church and this school, by the grace of God, are remarkable young people. They are the exception, not the rule. Now, they're not inherently better than anybody else's kids. And by the way, kids aren't any better because they go to Granite as opposed to homeschool or public school or whatever. We don't feel that way. But those are the ones that I work with on a daily basis. And I'm telling you, they've got some remarkable abilities, some remarkable talents, some remarkable gifts, some remarkable future. And you know why? Because their parents, if you'll put your mind to it, you have some remarkable abilities and some remarkable talents and some remarkable gifts. The problem is we never decide to use them. Remarkable people in this world to serve him and to fulfill his purpose and to live out his will. My question is, are you willing to live up to the remarkable person that God has made you to be? Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were remarkable people. And Nebuchadnezzar noticed But here's the tough part. They're royal, they're remarkable, but they were also at risk. Now, parents, if you do not understand at this point in society that your kids are at risk, you're just not paying attention. the things that are happening openly on our society i can't even sully the dignity of this pulpit to talk about wicked things vile things and people with their babies and their toddlers sitting in a semicircle in a library watching it god deliver us from that wicked things it is the mission of the entertainment industry, to mold your child's thinking into that of the world. To mold, once again, there are fantastic people in the public schools, great teachers, great administrators, and great students, but if you don't think that the government at a federal and a state level aren't trying to push an agenda in our state-run schools, you're just not paying attention what does nebuchadnezzar want to do here look at verse number 4 children speaking of you know they they they're well favored and wisdom and all that but it says and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace palace And whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. What's his angle? I'm going to take the best. And the brightest, the ones that are naturally leaders, the ones that people want to follow, the ones that people look up to, and I'm going to teach them our language, and I'm going to teach them our culture, because it's going to come a whole lot easier from them than it will from me. And I'm telling you that this world is trying to take your kids and teach them the world's language, and teach them the world's culture, and teach them the world's mindset, and teach them the world's attitude, because then those kids will go to their friends and teach it much more effectively than the world ever could but our kids aren't the only ones at risk the parents are at risk every time you cut on the remote you're at risk every time you put in your earbuds you're at risk every time you pick up a newspaper you're at risk because the devil wants you as much as he wants your kids but we just walk through this world as though the world is our friend. And everything is honky-dory. My Bible says love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And John makes it very clear that the world, we don't mean the people, we mean the system and the philosophy and the attitude. The world's system is at enmity with God. Right. There can be no coexistence. You see these bumper stickers. And these things, these window clings coexist. I got news for you. If any of these religions believe what they believe, none of them can coexist. None of them. If I really believe that, that trusting in anyone or anything other than Jesus Christ and his finished work is how you get to heaven, I can't go along with other people's doctrine. Right. Because I might as well be saying, fine, go to hell then, just so everybody's happy now. That doesn't mean I have to hate these other folks. I don't hate Muslims. I don't hate, uh, I don't hate Buddhists. I don't, I don't hate atheists. But if you're asking me to stand here and say, it doesn't matter what you believe, I can't and I won't because it does matter what you believe. And I'm sitting here and I am watching Christians that are surrendering every doctrinal belief they ever had for the purpose of getting along, and we can't do it because our kids are at risk. And if we don't believe it, if we don't trumpet it, how in the world do we expect our kids to leave the next generation on to Christ? We're We're at risk. Nebuchadnezzar did not intend good for these young people. He wanted to use them and manipulate them. And when they became unuseful to him, he'd throw them away. By the way, that's exactly where Disney and, and, and Microsoft and Amazon and everybody else is. Let's use folks until they're no good to us anymore. Man, it'd be great to go back to the days of the old Dumbo. Back to the days when Amazon was just interested in sending you a package. Back to the days when Microsoft was just trying to produce a good computer and they weren't trying to tell us how we're supposed to think. Goodness gracious, I'm fired up this morning. And no, the kids didn't get this level on Thursday. I was much sweeter on Thursday. We see a group that's royal, a group that's remarkable, a group that's at risk. The king appointed them, verse 5, a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank. And so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. He's appointing them meat that almost certainly is not kosher and not appropriate for a Jew. Wine that is not appropriate for a Jew. But what's he trying to do? He's trying to get them used to taking things into themselves that they shouldn't. That it might produce an appearance on the outside. What's the world trying to do? Get us used to taking things into ourselves that we shouldn't. Whether it's the media are you one of those ten foil hat wearing guys? I'm not by nature, but man, I'm getting there. I'm running out of reasons not to be. Do I think there are conspiracies out there? I sure do. But I don't. I don't think it's George Soros, and I don't think it's the Democratic or the Republican Party. I think it's Satan that's behind it. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The devil's the enemy. He's just using pawns everywhere. We're at risk. And we'll never appreciate the risk that our kids are under if we don't see it in our own lives, too. Well, I mean, I don't want my kids watching that stuff, but it's okay. I'm a grown-up. I can watch it. You think it doesn't hit your mind the way it does them? Hmm? You ought to be horrified at what your kids might have on their phone because of what you have on your phone. You ought to be horrified what they might be listening to because of what you used to like to listen to. You ought to be horrified at what anybody's capable of without the leadership of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Well, Andy, evidently you don't trust your kids. I don't. I love them, but I don't trust them. You know why? Because they're made of the same stuff their dad is and I for sure don't trust their dad. By God's grace, I've been faithful to my wife ever since the first day of our marriage and before. Well, that's because you're super spiritual. No, it is not. It's because I put some things in place because I know that in my flesh dwells no good thing, and you put anybody in a bad situation enough times, they're going to mess up. Anybody. I have some things in my life, some safeguards that help me do right by that woman. So if you think you can can walk through this life and you're good enough and you're godly enough to avoid all the pitfalls that everybody else has fallen in, you're wrong. Paul told the Corinthians, let him that think he standeth take heed lest he fall. We are all capable of any sin that's out there. We're at risk. Do you know what else I see? And I'm so thankful to say this. I see a group of people that's royal and a group of people that's remarkable and a group of people that's at risk. But I'm thankful to tell you, I also see a group of people that were resolute. There's this idea out there that, well, you know, everybody sows their wild oats. Everybody has that time of rebellion. Show me in the Bible where it says that. Now, I love testimonies of people that have wandered out into sin and God in his mercy has gripped them and brought them back and they are now trophies of grace. And if that's you, I want you to know God can get you wherever you are and bring you to where he wants you to be. But let me tell you what I like better. Somebody that by God's grace, they've just walked with God their whole lives and they've kept away from that mess. I don't want my kids to go into deep sin and then be pulled out. I want my kids to stay clean their whole lives. Amen. I, want my kids to, I want that for all of our kids here. And you should want that for your kids. They don't have to go the way of the world. Now, there will be some despite your best efforts. And I've heard this foolishness too. I tell you, if you're the parent you're supposed to be, they'll never go wrong because the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. So it must be your fault. Can I remind you, there's a perfect father that put his two children in a perfect environment and they still messed up. So that must not be what that verse means. There are good parents that have done their dead level best and kids just made bad decisions. But that's the exception, not the rule. If you live a godly life before them and they walk with God with you, they've got a much better chance of staying in that path. And that's what I pray for my kids. What do we have? We have resolutely verse 11. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had said over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants I beseech thee ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink, and let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter, and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days their countenance appeared fairer and fatter in flesh, and all the children which should eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat, and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse now there's some wisdom here they didn't they didn't come flat out right off the start and said we won't do it kill us if you want we won't do it now sometimes that's how we deal with our political leaders isn't it they pass something we don't like and we go in there guns blazing we're not gonna do it we hate all of you don't do that have some wisdom and go in with some humility And say, listen, we believe this is biblically wrong. Can we talk about that? And then if they say no, then do what you got to do. But sometimes we Christians can act a fool, can't we? Yeah. We can be silly about it. In In the little lobbying that I have done, and yes, I've done a little, I've never seen it effective to go into a senator's office and be belligerent and unkind. But I know of one senator, I know for a fact of one senator that some friends of mine went in, and this senator was on his way out. He had said he wasn't going to run for another term, so he was lame duck. And they went in, and they sat down, and they said, listen, this is what we believe from Scripture. This is what you've always said you believe. you got nothing to lose. And that senator went against what people thought, and he voted against that particular bill. He said, well, that's compromise. We need to stand up. No, it's called being wise as serpents and harmless as doves, and that's what Jesus told us to do. You can always get silly later. How about try something that works first? And that's what Daniel did. Daniel Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't say, we're not going to do it. Just go ahead and kill us. You know what would have happened? They'd have went ahead and killed him. He said, would you give us 10 days? Give us 10 days. And let us eat what we want to eat, what we believe God would have us to eat, and drink what we believe God would have us to drink, water and pulse, a vegetable mixture. And if after 10 days... If after 10 days we don't come out better than the rest of them, then we'll do what we have to do. Well, what did God do? He blessed them. And after 10 days, they looked fairer and fatter in flesh. Hallelujah. They were resolute to do what was right. And sometimes it comes down to just resolving that by God's grace, we're going to do what's right and we have to go against the grain. We have to swim against the stream. And the world, and I told the young people this, you want to be different, you want to stick out, don't, don't go the goth route. Don't, I'll tell you this, I'm convinced that a lot of kids are exploring other sexual identities, not because they're really there, but because... It's the cool thing to do right now. And the media celebrates it, and and, and Hollywood celebrates it, and and the school gives you special rooms to hide in, and all that. No, I think there's a lot of kids that they're just confused, and they're getting fed all kinds of bad information. But you want to be different? You want to be different? Live for God, you'll be different. Now, don't be stuck up about it. Don't be all holier than thou. And we see that sometimes, don't we? (laughs) I thank thee, Lord, that I'm not as this Republican, or I'm not as this Democrat, or I'm not as this person over here, or I'm not as this whatever group you want to put in there. Don't be that way either. Never forget, we are all just sinners saved by grace. And we are all just, all of us deserve hell. Every one of us. I'm no better than you. You're no better than me. We, apart from Christ, we all stink. There's your word of affirmation for the day. If you're going to quote me on something, apart from Christ, we all stink, Andrew Davis. That's true. Don't do it. We just need some young people that are resolute. But sometimes we don't see many young people that are resolute because their parents won't be resolute. Their grandparents won't be resolute. Their aunts and uncles won't be resolute. When I look here, I see people that are royal. And I see people that are remarkable. I see people that are at risk. I see people that are resolute. But lastly, you know what I see? I see people in need of a ringleader. And we hear the term ringleader and we think negative, don't we? Yep. Granite's having issues, and there's the ringleader. And, of course, our first thoughts would go to Kennedy because, you know. <laughs> Granite's having issues, and that Barrett kid, ringleader, every student that's in here is right now wondering, hey, am I next? Yes, Jillian, you are. (laughs) But if it can be true negative, can it not be true positive too? When you read this, it's pretty apparent that it wasn't really Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that made this decision. It was Daniel. Verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart... That he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank, therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. so what happened here is Daniel made a decision to be resolved, and then he influenced Shadrach Meshach, and Abednego to do the right thing and I told the young people what we desperately need is young people in our schools and in our churches and in our youth groups and in our neighborhoods and in our families that have made some resolve to live for God and then lead their friends and their family to do the same. I don't want to point at individual students and say, we got a problem and they're the ringleader. I want to point at students and say, we're having revival and there's the ringleader. They're the ones that are sneaking off in between classes and praying they're the ones that at lunchtime have decided to bring their bibles and i'm not saying you have to do that stuff but i don't know how it takes the form but but you just decided you know what i'm going to live for god if i can lead people along with me i'm going to do that but young people that's great but we need parents that'll lead well, that's why we have deacons and financial committee. I'm not talking about that. Thank the Lord for the leadership that we have here. But you don't have to carry a title to be a leader in this church. If you want one, I'll make one up for you, but you don't have to have it. Lead. Be a leader. This world is in desperate need of the right kind of leaders. The presidential election will almost certainly ultimately be a decision based on who most lines up with what we want, if it's that clear. But it's been a long time since America collectively as a nation has looked for an honest-to-goodness leader. So what? Andy, why would you bring a message that you brought to young people, to us this morning? Because the same is true of you. If you're saved today, you're royal. And royalty is held to a higher standard. You know, go ask, go ask King Charles. My wife hates me to say that. Go ask King Charles. I'm sorry. Queen Elizabeth's gone. It's how it is. Go ask King Charles if he can slip off at night to Walmart in a pair of sweats and get what he wants. Can't. You know why? He's royalty. They're held to a higher standard. And Christian, there may be things we used to do that we really enjoy, but they're no longer compatible with our Christianity. And I'm sorry, you're royal. You're held to a higher standard now. But I want you to know you're remarkable. There's not one of you in here, not one of you in here, that God has not gifted with at least one spiritual gift to use for his honor and glory. Something that he has custom made for you to use for him in a way that only you can. He did it for you. And you are the best at whatever that is because he made it that way. You're remarkable. From an earthly perspective, the people of this church are remarkable. This, this is like nowhere I've ever been. We're not better than any other church, but I'm going to tell you right now, there's no other church I'd rather be at. And I felt that way for 12 years. You're remarkable. But you better see that you're at risk. This world is not our friend. And Satan, our adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Can I remind you, there's no excuse for not seeing him coming. Lions, when they want to get something, they creep and they're quiet. The devil is walking and roaring all around us and he's still getting us because we're not paying attention and we don't realize we're at risk. So what do we need to do? By God's grace, we need to be resolute. good example is Joshua. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me, and my house, We'll serve the Lord. But I think what it's going to take is some ringleaders. Not everybody can be a leader. Some people are followers, and that's, that's okay as long as you're following the right leader. But I believe the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to hearts even right now saying, when are you going to be that leader for me? What are you going to do? To help other people get closer to me. You see, when I read Daniel 1, I do. I see your kids. But on a grander scale, I see you. So who in here wants to resemble Daniel?